Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us. We also like to thank you for seven years of being on air. We've done a show every week. That's 364 shows that we've done. We hope we helped uh, the industry. We hope we've helped you in some way. We certainly appreciate your likes, your shares your comments and and your subscribe so thanks for being with us well today we're going to talk about retail real estate I think retail has been a very interesting sector in commercial real estate maybe a lot of opportunities maybe a lot of turmoil well let's see what's happening have an expert on the phone with us today Jim Costello he's senior VP with real capital analytics Jim thanks for joining us thanks for having me so Jim I think the one of the biggest questions my audience may have right now as you do you guys do a great job of tracking investment property sales when you look at retail sector what are you seeing for cap rate trends today uh, right now the the funny thing with all the negative news around retail uh, you know you might think that investors are running away and cap rates would be going up but really they've been flat over the last year now they're they're re at record lows uh, you know, what we saw for August, we just published our August figures this morning, they uh, averaged around 6.5% nationally. That's about 80 basis points lower than the long run average for the sector. Uh, so it's at a record low, uh, but so far, you know, there's just not pressure to push them up. I see. And have this, these cap rate trends now, they're, they're, they're kind of flat. Have they been flat for a while? What's, what's the past look like? Yeah, they have been uh, flat for some time. They've been flat over the last year. There was a little bit of movement uh, for a very temporary basis right after the election in 2016 and with the uh, uh, increase in interest rates that happened for a short period of time. But the interest rate increase quickly corrected itself. And uh, so cap rates really fell back to where they were. Uh, over the last year, except for that, there's just not been much movement. Okay. And uh, Jim's with uh, Real Capital Analytics, and they track uh, investment property sales and real commercial real estate sales, and they pretty much concentrate on properties that sell over $2.5 So, Jim, is there something about maybe the properties that are selling today or not selling today uh, in that over $2.5 million price range that are impacting cap rates? Is it maybe the better properties that are still moving? You know, it's a funny thing on, on that market. In some sense, the better properties, the best properties, don't sell. Period. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of of talk around the retail sector and a lot of uh, negative headlines surrounding it, but there's still great retail properties with cash flowing tenants and key locations that are going to survive whatever comes with internet retailing becoming showrooms, a mix of uh, the bricks and mortar and clicks. Those assets, if you've got that and you've got that fortress location, you're not so disposed to selling it. Uh, and then, you know, there's other retail that is just not going to be susceptible to the uh, predation from the Internet. Uh, think of all the local service kind of focused retail and especially food and entertainment. You know, that kind of stuff is just, you know, you can't you can't get yourself a, a, a pizza emailed to you. Uh, yeah, so, you know, even if uh, Domino's is delivering it, even if you send an email to them and they deliver it, uh, you know, they still need a place to do all that. Yeah, that's so that's So that kind of retail is still, you know, still has a reason in the economy to be there. 
and, and it's uh, the challenge is that even stuff like that gets painted with a broad brush of it's tied to retail. And from the board level on down, people are aware that there's some broad challenges that retail faces, and they've just been a little too skittish. I think there's opportunities in retail, in, in locations uh, that, that are more fortress like that. And I want to in ask, sense that, uh, and Jim, I want to ask you about the opportunities. Before we go there, I want to touch back on what you're talking about on the sentiment, because you guys are in touch with a lot of the investors that are buying these properties. You're tracking these sales every day. So you mentioned the sentiment is, hey, hey, maybe there's some issues with retail. So if I've got a great performing asset, maybe I don't sell it. But also you have investors who like to say, hey, if there's a little bit of turmoil. Maybe there's opportunities there, but a lot of these investors have to get loans on these properties. So, what are you seeing with lender sentiment? Yeah, the interesting thing about lender sentiment is that in this year, for commercial property broadly, we've seen a resurgence in CMBS lending. CMBS lending is is back because they they finally figured out risk retention rules. Uh, you know, so they're able to you know, effectively provide capital to, to the industry. And they're, they're growing as a share of all lending uh, for, for every other property sector, except for retail. Retail, where CMS is probably uh, a natural fit for a lot of these kind of diverse portfolios and smaller assets in multiple markets. Uh, you know, that, that should be a fit for, for lending, but just didn't grow this year. There's still some hesitancy for, for, from the folks who might buy those bonds eventually to get into anything tied to retail because of the broad negativity in retail. Uh, so the folks who have been stepping up and who have gained market share on lending are, are the local and regional banks. And to me, that kind of makes sense. You know, if, if you can't get uh, a group of folks in New York to package a, a security that includes a couple uh, retail buildings in your market, well, the, you can talk to Martha down at the uh, savings and loan, and uh, she can uh, arrange uh, 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 a loan for you because she's more intimately familiar with what happens at the corner of uh, yeah, Maine and Maine. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, but like you said, they're there. They're, they're shopping there. Uh, they know how popular uh, the property is and, and have a better comfort level. They're not sitting in a, in a boardroom or have investors that are saying, is it retail <laughs> uh, in, in trouble right now? Well, um, we're talking with Jim Costello, and he is with Real Capital Analytics. And Jim, you mentioned opportunity. And, and it seems like retail properties, when you, when you look at them, uh, they are great real estate. In other words, they're, they're usually pretty cleared, they're pretty level, they've got utilities, they're on good streets. Where are their opportunities in retail today? You know, the, the opportunity, I think, in retail is in the fear. Mm -hmm. uh, to the extent that uh, too many people are walking away from it and uh, walking away uh, from the opportunities in those locations that come may with how companies reach consumers, they're still going to need key locations like that. I think that's the key. That's uh, that's the opportunity to find those while others are just a little too fearful at the moment. Okay, so properties that maybe somebody does want to sell, uh, maybe there's uh, less buyers, so maybe some opportunities there. You know, I think that that is the case. At the same time, it hasn't shown up in price trends. You know, cap rates are flat, uh, and our our index of commercial property prices it's not growing as quickly as it had. It's only about a 1% year over year growth at this point versus commercial properties broadly growing around 7% year over year. But 
you know, it, it's just not shown up yet in terms of discounts and pricing. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Well, um, I want to, Jim, I want to ask you about where you think we are in the cycle. I want to ask you about interest rates impact uh, moving forward. And then something that's big on the minds of people today is the changes in the tax code. Uh, maybe the potential repeal of the 1031. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Jim Costello with Archie Analytics. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Build out the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit buildout.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit commercialsearch.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Visit bullrealty.com. Today we're talking retail real estate. My guest is Jim Costello. He's Senior VP with Real Capital Analytics. And Jim, we were talking about the market, the cap rates, what you're seeing in uh, retail investment real estate. I think one of the questions that is on the mind of a lot of people today is the cycle. It seems like we've had good times for a long time. Where are we in the cycle, especially when it comes to retail real estate? Yeah, where are we in the cycle is a huge question that everybody worries. And, and normally when they're asking the question, they've got this notion that the market's a roller coaster, that you get to the top and then you naturally uh, – you know, have a have a crash and everything falls to uh, record lows. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. I think that that kind of pattern of behavior uh, is not necessarily going to be the same this time as in previous cycles. There's things that rhyme in every cycle, but every cycle has its unique characteristics. Uh, and, and you know, here's a, here's the funny thing. At some point, I became the older guy in the room, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of the folks I'm working with now. Uh, when they talk about the last downturn, the only downturn they've seen is uh, what we went through in the global financial crisis. And so they think that, you know, anytime there's a downturn, that's what you go through. Uh, but, you know, if, if uh, you know, I remember the 2001 <laughs> downturn and uh, beyond, before that, you know, the, the 80s downturn, there were some elements that were just as bad. There were some elements that were better. Uh, you know, if we have a downturn sometime in the next few years, It'll have its own unique characteristics, different from every other one. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we know there's always going to be a cycle, but how long the cycles are and how how far they go up or down is is always going to going to be different. And I agree. It seems like there's a lot of elements to commercial real estate that uh, we don't have uh, as a problem that we had in the last one. And you mentioned the. 86 downturn or the 80s downturn and I think some of that was from the tax law changes that we had changing depreciation at the end of 1986 and you know SNLs failed there was some big changes and of course we're looking at tax reform now there's been some talk of maybe altering or repealing uh, the 1031 exchange so what impact do you think these these contemplated tax changes could have on commercial real estate values yeah I tell you, the tax stuff that's being talked about, it's very tricky because the, the challenge is that nobody quite knows exactly what's going to happen. And if any one thing happens, 
that, that we've been looking at, it could be bad. There's a few other things, though, that, that could be beneficial. Uh, the, the Real Estate Roundtable has come out and said if all the tax proposals that are out there come together at once, the total effect should be neutral on real estate because while there's certain benefits we will lose, we will have a lower overall tax rate and uh, that will make up for it. Uh, but you know, the devil's in the details. You know, you, it can sound great on paper, but then you know, when it starts to impact the balance sheet, uh, you know, a little movement can sometimes have a big impact uh, when you're talking about some percentage rates and the ability to depreciate and uh, how uh, tax structures come about. So it's, yeah, it's something, it's a risk, and there are potential changes to the market that we have to worry about. Sadly, you know, it's, just, it's all unclear at the moment because you know, we don't quite know what mix of policies is going to happen. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it's the, the jury's still out on that. And, uh, but one thing the jury's not out on, Jim, is that interest rates have been really low. And that if the market continues to improve, and we hope it does, the economy, that interest rates will rise. So what do you expect the impact to be on commercial real estate uh, sales and, and cap rates and values, and especially maybe uh, related to retail? Yeah, you know, this is a mixed bag. If you think about interest rates, the, if the economy is growing and there's competition for capital and companies are investing, that's something that, frankly, should be a beneficial driver for property overall because then you can have better tenants and faster-growing rent. Uh, so that could offset any interest uh, rate increases to, to some degree. Uh, the interest rate increase I'm starting to be concerned about is what happens next with the Fed balance sheet unwinding. Uh, they've talked about uh, starting to sell $10 billion a month of primarily uh, mortgage instruments that they're currently holding. You think about the capital that's coming to the commercial real estate world, a lot of it is this fixed income uh, uh, capital that's looking for a safe, stable yield. Uh, that mortgage stuff that the Fed is holding is going to look very attractive to those folks. Right now, our market, the commercial real estate market in the United States, is roughly $30 billion a month in terms of scale. Uh, that's about what the Fed says that they're going to try and sell eventually from their portfolio. So. You know, that I think may have some challenges in the sense that there's a lot of capital still looking to get into the fixed income world of commercial real estate. But do we start seeing competition for that capital as the Fed starts selling off uh, assets from its balance sheet? All right. So how might that impact uh, uh, some of the listeners that own shopping centers uh, around the U.S.? Uh, the way it impacts you suddenly... If you want to sell that shopping center, uh, maybe there's fewer potential bidders because they're you know, at, the, at the prices you, that you want because those investors may have other options now in terms of buying fixed income securities from uh, the Fed that's, tied to real estate. Yeah, that's interesting. And then a, a final thought from you, Jim. Uh, foreign investment. It seems like uh, a lot of foreign investment has continued to improve in the U.S. There's been more interest. It's considered a safe haven. Uh, our tax law changes, what's going on in the world, what do you expect moving forward for uh, foreign investment in U.S. real estate, particularly uh, retail and the impact moving forward? You know, uh, cross-border investment, it, it's it, what we've seen so far in 2017, it's actually down from where it had been last year and the year before. Uh, 
it's still at an elevated level relative to history. And the cross-border investors, you know, despite all the negative headlines flying around in the United States right now, you know, these portfolio investors, you know, sitting back in Zurich and Abu Dhabi and uh, Beijing, they look at the United States and they think, you know, that is a productive economy, uh, high income earners. It's a place that I want to have some exposure to. Uh, now, the pace is down because prices are high and they're always looking for opportunities themselves. And all institutional buyers are starting to pull back a bit because it's hard to get the kind of IRRs you need out of your real estate portfolio when uh, you have to pay uh, you know, record low cap rates for an asset. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully U.S. is a safe investment for us uh, investing here in the U.S. and for our foreign investors. And Jim, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your insight. Thank you much. And thank you for joining us out there. Stay tuned. We're going to have more on retail real estate. Stay with us. I'm Michael Ball. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by Excelligent. Visit Excelligent.com and they have information on commercial real estate in most every major city around the U.S., Excelligent.com. Well, like I said, today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Stephanie Sagalski. She is with ICSC, International Council of Shopping Centers, and she's joining us on Skype. Stephanie, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So I think everyone's curious, Stephanie, about the holiday season. You know, some people see retail is doing well, and some people say it's changing, and some people say some of these department stores are having troubles. What's the expectations for the holiday season? Well, overall, we expect a 3.8%. We're forecasting a 3.8% year-over-year growth in sales this holiday season. So we're expecting it to be a strong season. Uh, it will be very much across all mediums, whether it's online or in-store or both. Um, shoppers have shown a preference to, to both and like to utilize them from a convenience perspective. Uh, we're not expecting it to be slow. Uh, we expect people to be out and about from now until Christmas Eve. And uh, for brick and mortar, what do you expect for holiday season there? We expect a lot of people will use brick and mortar. In fact, 96% of consumers will use brick and mortar at some point in their shopping experience. So whether that's um, completely physical, whether that's omni-channel, they, they buy online and pick up in store, um, they will all use it. Millennials will use it. Um, and they, it should be a good, a good season. Uh, we expect a good, strong turnout on Black Friday and that entire weekend. Uh, so brick and mortar is looking good this season. And is that a lot of consumer confidence in the economy doing well? Is that that part of the picture? Job market doing well. Yeah, I think that there's there's uh, strong confidence in the economy. Consumers are much more comfortable this year. We're seeing a little bit stronger numbers at this point this year than we did last year, leading up to the election. Uh, a lot of people were 
little uncertain and hesitant. They did go out and shop and they we saw growth last year as well. But people are much more settled down right now and um, they expect to shop and they expect good deals and we expect them to spend um, about $728 per adult. I got to tell my wife that that's her limit, $728 right there. <laughs> that's the budget this year. <laughs> so the spending for the holiday season in the brick and mortar. Now, that's not just people going in and drinking in the restaurants, right? That's people buying goods. Right? It is. Now, I mean, when we talk about the general spending number, that is that is going to bars and restaurants. That is going to see movies and entertainment. Um, and they will do all of those things. Uh, but they will also go and, and spend on on goods and gifts for themselves and for others. And who will be the winners out there in uh, retail in the holiday season? Is it going to be the the iPhones, the gadgets? Uh, who's the winners? You know, we we found that the majority of people will buy apparel for the holiday season, uh, followed by toys and electronics. So they will be buying clothes but they will also be buying those electronics that are hitting the market just in time for the holiday season, whether it be new iPhones or new Samsungs or whatever this year's Tickle Me Elmo is. <laughs> and you have the uh, ICSC Southeast uh, Convention Expo uh, coming up. I think we're, we're going to be there. I mean, I know we're going to be there. We're going to have a large uh, booth and a large uh, amount of our people there. Tell us about the dates and what, uh, what you expect out of the, uh, the Southeast Conference this year. Oh, so now you caught me off guard. I don't have the dates in front <laughs> okay. of me. We'll put them uh, down below. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, with any of our conferences, our, our Western Conference is just finishing up right now out in Los Angeles. Um, they're a great time. We are seeing incredible turnout. Uh, people are still going to uh, make deals or to network, uh, get education in. Uh, so we expect the same thing um, in the Southeast and uh, leading up into New York deal making in December here in New York. Are you seeing more people at these conferences uh, this year with kind of some of the changes going on in retail or less? How's your attendance? Our attendance has been up this year. Uh, Recon in Las Vegas, uh, we hit a record high number. We are still seeing high attendance. Uh, and I think some of that has to do with the changing dynamics of, of consumers. So, you know, you have new, new retailers entering the market and looking for space and these are great events to find that space at yeah so uh yeah be sure and, and and come to the event if you're in the southeast or really anywhere uh we'll be there look for uh for us at our booth and uh so any any tips you would give for retailers going to the holiday season uh i think that you know retailers need to be uh set up on both digital platforms and that in-person uh, experience. Uh, we're finding that consumers want a, a mix of both. They want a very personalized experience. Uh, they want something that they can push out through social media. So they're very digitally minded. And so those retailers that accommodate those wants and desires of consumers will do well. Yeah. Well, that's a good tip, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. If you'd like more from Stephanie and ICSC, visit ICSC. Org. And stay tuned with us. We'll have more on retail and retail real estate right after this break. I'm Michael Ball. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. 
Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit RealCrowd.com. Choose between Core, Core Plus, Value Add, or Opportunistic. Visit RealCrowd.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment's brought to you by BuildOut.com. If you are a commercial broker, visit BuildOut.com. You'll be glad you did. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Terry Montiza. He's founder and CEO of Trademark Property Group. He's joining us on the phone. Terry, thanks for being with us. Hi. Uh, good to be here. So now you're actually on Skype today, not on the phone. So, uh, so Terry... What is really different about uh, retail development properties today? We were talking earlier, and you used to build just really retail, right? And now mm -hmm. you're doing mixed use. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you see that's different today? Well, um, retail today is, is different in so many ways. Uh, it's gravitated from a, um, a, a way to acquire the goods you need, um, to much more of an experience because so many people can acquire virtually everything they need uh, sitting at their house or I was just reading a, an article that said like 15% of the people shop while they're in the bathroom <laughs> so I mean basically uh, and now retail is now uh, a place that uh, or an industry where we now host retailers and F&B purveyors and service purveyors that provide experiences, provide things that you can't get at home, and the retailers ha are challenged with providing uh, products, services, customization, uh, et cetera, that, that people just can't get uh, online. Yeah, I mean, it must be interesting when you are picking tenants today. I mean, you're looking for what, an experience? Are you looking also at their omni-channel marketing? What's it like when you're choosing, really choosing pick t tenants today for your projects? Yeah, so it's very interesting. We, we are working on a, a big plan for a super regional uh, mixed-use town center. And about 12, 14 months ago, we had a plan that we really, really liked. Um, had spent a lot of time with national firms, firms from all over the country, three or four different architects met, had a charrette, came up with this great plan. This is probably 14, 15 months ago. And here, just a few months ago, it became obvious that that plan was already obsolete. <laughs> and just think about that. So in the past, the rate of change in retail real estate would have been, you know, every 10, 20 years, a slight change. Well, now, every couple of years, you have dramatic change. And so this new plan we just did uh, has no department stores on it, whereas the plan from 16 months ago had two department stores on it with a spot for a third. So just think about that. And so, and then the next thing would be the plan from 16 months to two years to three years to four years ago would have had a, a lot of fashion retailers on it. In the, in the past, a, a lifestyle or, or mixed-use town center, fashion would have been the largest component. Um, today, the largest single component is probably going to al almost always be F&B and entertainment. And fashion, uh, the number of fashion doors 
it may have been cut by two-thirds, some, some big number. So our new plan for that project has no department stores on it and much, much, much less uh, accommodation for fashion. So that's that, And then how do we pick those tenants? Yeah, yeah are they developing experience? Is, are they delivering things that people can't get just everywhere? Um, a lot more regionals and locals, a lot more. We're, we're more open to entrepreneurs, more open to short-term um, deals if the tenant is providing, providing something compelling. So we're looking for compelling. We're looking for experience. We're looking for sustainable. Is it a growing sort of segment uh, that they've created? Do they have a unique uh, niche or position in the marketplace? Those are the kind of things we're looking for. Yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, you got to get people out in these developments today to spend the money. So what are tenants having to get comfortable with? Is it less parking? Is it the difference in tenant mix? Or is it maybe being questioned more about whether they're right for a property? Well, you know, I think I think tenants are, uh, number one, they have a little more leverage than uh, they used to. So they're, they're not having to be all that accommodating. They're really having to get used to a new world that is really uh, driven by technology. And so the, the e-commerce changed, you know, most retailers' lives. Now, didn't necessarily change a nail salon's life or a beauty salon's life, but, but the non-services, e-commerce changed. Those. So they're getting used to omni-channel. They're getting used to uh, ship-to-store versus free shipping. Um, they're, they're getting used to how to deliver an experience, how to deliver convenience, how to deliver customization. I'd say most retailers are getting used to having to deliver a much better environment, experience, and level of service and customization than they, than they ever imagined if you were in the business 5, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, well, that certainly makes sense. And what about parking? We hear about some municipalities maybe adjusting their thinking on parking. You know, we see some tenants that uh, think they need more parking than they do. What's your experience today in these new developments there? Well, the p- parking is one of the uh, big places where we think there's a major paradigm shift starting. Um, the, if you read a lot of trends, folks, a lot of, a lot of, uh, designers that are in the sort of predicting business, you know, everybody say they're looking forward to what, what, what are they paying attention to? They're paying attention to autonomous cars. Uh, they're paying attention to ride sharing because I have a couple of millennials at my house and, um, you know, they're, they, they and their friends are much more into Uber and Lyft and, uh, open to riding their bike to work, et cetera. So I think we're in the early stages uh, of sort of a leading edge from a designer and city planner standpoint of rethinking parking. Uh, we live in Texas, places like Texas, Florida, California, you know, a little less urban, more car dependent places. I think we'll be slower to change, but over the next few years, I expect parking ratios to come down gradually, um, from a five per thousand for retail and, you know, four or five per thousand for our office. I expect those to just gradually come down. They will come down more in the real urban markets than they will in the car dependent markets. And I think municipalities and city fathers will get out of legislating parking and they'll just say, they'll just let the developers take the risk and say, if you want to build a, an apartment building with condos and hotel and office and retail and build no parking spaces, 
you take the risk, knock yourself out. We're, we're not going to legislate because like in New York, for instance, they're, they're building apartments with zero parking. Yeah. And, um, and it, it's working up there. And so if somebody is, is, wants to take that much risk and do that in Dallas or Fort Worth, for instance, they'd probably be crazy because people aren't quite there yet. But why? Yeah. I think the cities are getting to where they're going to allow the developers to take the risk on parking and no longer dictate it. That's what we're hearing from city planners. Well, you know, that's a good point. You think about it. Maybe they want less cars. Maybe they want more people on transit. So that might be one way to do it. And, you know, uh, as an example, I have a small building, a 6,600 square foot building I'm leasing or selling on, in Buckhead, Atlanta, right off of Peachtree, very walkable. I'll have one tenant, one user come in and say, there's not enough parking. I'll have another tenant come in and go, why do we need all this parking? And people are going to want to walk here. And then another thing I wanted to ask you about is about restaurants. It seems like we're seeing a lot of restaurants move into a lot of mixed use, a lot of retail properties. Is this sustainable? Can this last? Can these restaurants make it if there's, are there too many restaurants in some markets? Well, I think so. There's one of the big trends in retail and mixed use development is F&B, like I mentioned earlier, F&B entertainment now probably being the highest percentage uh, relative to the, you know, is it fashion, is it service, is it entertainment, F&B, et cetera, boutique fitness. Um, I think that the, that, that macro trend of F&B entertainment being uh, maybe the largest percentage or a, a, at least number two, I think that's going to sustain. I am a little concerned uh, with the uh, number of seats getting added in a lot of places because developers are maybe they have a bunch of existing space or a project that was under construction and they thought they were going to have a bunch of fashion demand and they don't have it. So they're just offering great deals to restaurants. That's not sustainable. But I think that it will shake out over the next two or three years and F&B you know, it is, it is something, one thing sustainable about it is something you can't do on your phone. You know, you can argue, oh, I can have it delivered or I can do blue apron, apron. Absolutely. But you can't go out, you know, you can't go out and socialize. You can't meet other couples on your phone, et cetera. So I think that the sort of shift to where F and B is a, is a major anchor of future retail and mixed use projects. I think that is here to stay we may be having a little too uh, much restaurant investment on developers' behalves, driving too many seats, which I think that'll just sort of the, the marketplace capitalism will prevail and the good ones will, will make it and, and there'll be a little uh, some empty space coming back for future entrepreneurs to fill. Yeah. Well, Terry, you've been developing retail properties for a long time and mixed-use properties. What kind of tip would you leave a tenant with today that's looking for space um, leave what kind of tip would I leave for a tenant? Looking for the well, right space, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think um, I'd be concerned if a landlord is proactive in uh, drawing traffic to the place. Um, it used to be that you just put together a collection of the right retailers. They were going to do the advertising. They were going to drive the traffic. Uh, Customers had no alternative pre-e-commerce. Yeah, you know, I guess uh, we did have catalogs, but there was limited alternatives pre-e-commerce. And so if you put the right collection of tenants together and you maintained a clean environment, people were going to shop there because they kind of had to. You know, there was the closest 
Chico's or the closest Apple store or closest Ann Taylor. Well, today you can put together a good collection of, of uh, the old conventional tenants and, and you might not have many people show up. Right. And so I think that a tenant should be looking for landlords that are uh, committed to creating environments and places that deliver experience and, and what that might look like. So we invest a lot in public art. We invest in what we call things that will create Instagrammable moments. So places where the, the, your customers will actually do a lot of your advertising for you. And you, a lot of the research says 20, 30% of the people, they pick retailers based on recommendations from friends, from influencers. And a lot of that happens via uh, social media. And so we try to create an environment that's very social media friendly. Um, and so they need to be looking for landlords that are proactively <clears throat> trying to drive traffic. Some of that's through event programming. Some of it's through, like I said, just creating a great experience that people want to come to. And then they might then decide whether to eat or where to, where to eat or, or where to shop. They just know they like it when they're there. And so that, I'd, be looking, I'd be looking for places that are being proactive about that. That's an incredible tip and, and interesting when you think about it because think about, you know, 10 years ago, that would never have been on a tenant's list. Well, let's see what uh, this project, what their social media platform is like. How many followers do they have on Twitter? But uh, very good point. Well, before you leave, I know you have a lot to do. Could you leave a tip for investors or developers or somebody maybe that owns uh, retail properties today? Yeah, so... Um so pay a lot of attention to uh, what you can do at your property to, to treat people like they're cared about, to make visitors feel like guests, uh, to, to give them experiences that they wouldn't get inside the store because we can no longer count on the retailers to, uh, to drive the traffic and to do all our work for us. So, you know, we're, you're going to have to invest in things via research, listen to the community. The other things that the, the development community has done a very poor job historically doing um, is listening. So don't come to a community and feel like you know what they want and you're just going to design it and they're going to like it. Listen to the community. Find out what they want and need. They, they may not have a great pop fountain in that community. They may already have one. Um, so listen to the community. Fill some needs. Listen to their aspirations. And, and have the place be a draw uh, as much as the retailers because that's something you control. So do a great job creating an experience and a draw and, and uh, drawing traffic with the things you control. I love that. Listening, always a good skill. And I appreciate listening to you, Terry. Thanks for joining us today. Sure. Thank you. See you, if you And if you like more information on Terry and his company, visit trademarkproperty.com. Well, thank you for joining us on the radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, the show website. Appreciate you uh, sharing the show and leaving comments. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Real Crowd. Crowdfunding with the professionals. Get Valuate, online investment analysis. Build out, marketing for your brokerage. 
For more information on these great companies, visit CREshow.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes and YouTube and connect with us on your favorite social media.